Good morning. Happy Sabbath. I want to tell the worship team they sounded especially good this morning. I like uh, when Judy gets up on the drums and Big Jim on the lead guitar there, it sounds pretty good. Nice full sound. So I appreciate that for everybody. Happy Sabbath. <clears throat> I'm a little nervous up here. Not too much, but a little bit. Uh, my mama used to say, if you're ever nervous and you're up front, picture everybody out there in the audience naked. That way it'll make you feel a lot better about things. So with that picture in mind, I'd like to tell my wife, you're looking exceptionally good this morning, darling. <clears throat> Let's have a prayer again. Lord, I want to thank you this morning for the beautiful Sabbath day. I ask, Lord, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill this auditorium with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to speak about you to these folks, Lord. I know it's an honor and a privilege and a responsibility, Lord, to speak to your people. And so I ask, Lord, that it be not me speaking, but you speaking through me. I ask for a full measure of the Holy Spirit this morning. For me and for every person in this church this morning, Lord, help us all to get a blessing. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. Amen. So when Pastor Matt talked to me, it's been a few weeks ago, maybe even a month or two, and uh, asked me to, to speak this morning, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you out. I know he has a lot going on as well, so if I could uh, be a little bit of a help to him, I wanted to do that. And as I went home and the last couple of weeks was kind of thinking about what I wanted to talk about this morning, um, came to mind <clears throat> that over the past few months, I'd, be ha I'd been having a pretty tough time at work. Had some difficult situations there and some folks that were uh, giving me a little trouble. We had a new uh, person come into the directorship there and she just wasn't that kind and it just it was a rough time and it kind of started back even before Christmas and I'd been struggling there talked to my wife about it and talked to my mom my boys and I'd been kind of struggling a little bit with things and it gotten pretty bad there to the point where I wasn't sure I was going to stick around but you know I I said well, I gotta don't want to make any rash decisions so I kind of worked through things and prayed about it and it get a little better and then something happened and it went back downhill again so I was thinking about that and I got to thinking, you know, I remember as a child, uh, my mom, growing up back in Colorado, she used to read me stories from my Bible friends. Anybody remember my Bible friends? If you're an Adventist, you have a child, you probably know what my Bible friends are. They're like the little orange cover on there, and they talk about Daniel and David and Esther, Zacchaeus, all those stories. Good stuff. And they had an impact on my life way back when, as a child. And so... After I got married and uh, we had boys of our own, we did the same thing. I said, if that's, they're that good for me, I wanted my boys to have that same, you know, that same opportunity to have those stories. And so I read to my boys as well. I learned a lot of valuable lessons from those stories uh, early on as a child growing up, having those stories read to me. And one of the primary things I learned that was kind of a common theme throughout is that God is always in control. I begin to think about my situation at work and the trials and troubles that these characters in these stories had. I compared them to my current situation and in the scheme of things, I got to thinking, you know, I ain't really got it all that bad. The Lord told me, you know, actually, you're a pretty lucky man. I blessed you. You have a wife, a home, your health. You have healthy children, a family that loves you, food on the table, 
and you actually have a job to go to and support your family. So I got to thinking, you know, it's, it's not really all that bad compared to some of these stories. And one story in particular that God brought to my mind was the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph, to me, I read through there several times, and I liked them all, but Joseph was, he was a cool dude, and we're going to talk about him a little bit this morning. But it shows God's grace, his mercy, and that ultimately, no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what things look like, God is always in control. And so as I thought about that, I kind of got to thinking, and, and it made me kind of see things a little differently. So this morning, we're going to have a little Bible study on the story of Joseph. Uh, we had a sermon a couple, couple weeks ago. Carrie, I believe her name is, and she talked about Paul and the shipwreck, and she did an awesome job. I enjoyed that because there's awesome stories in the Bible, and the way she did it, she kind of brought that to life, and I appreciate that. And I'm going to try to do the same thing for everyone today to bring a story to life. And really, this is a sermon for me, but I guess you all can listen in because the Lord gave me this sermon, and it was for me as much as anything. To fully understand the story of Joseph in the events of his life, we need to go back a few chapters in the Bible to review the choices of Joseph's father. Who knows who Joseph's father was? Anybody help me out? Jacob, that's right. And Jacob was born a twin to an older brother. And what was that fellow's name? Esau. Esau was a hairy guy. In fact, that's what his name means, the Bible says. It means hairy. So we're going to start out here, and uh, we're going to read out of the, the Bible. Now, I don't have a PowerPoint today. I don't have a, uh, an iPad. I'm kind of old school. We're going to do things old school today. We're going to kind of go backwards, kind of a hillbilly style here. Matt, being a district attorney, he always has his iPad up here and 1,700 PowerPoints, and he's got things top of the line, cutting-edge technology. Well, you've got me and old hillbilly up here today, so we're going to just read out the Bible. If you happen to have a Bible with you, you can turn in your Bible. You can look off your neighbor, or you may even have an app on your phone. I do have that, but I'm not going to use it this morning. I'm going to use the Bible. And if you don't, I'll read it to you. So we're going to start here with Genesis 25, 24 through 28. We're going to start, and like I say, we're going to talk just briefly for just a little bit here about Joseph's father, because I think his choices and some of the things he made in his life affected what happened in Joseph's life. So in verse 24 of the 25th chapter of Genesis, so the time had come for her, that being the mother Rebekah, to be delivered. She had twin boys, just as the Lord had said. The first boy to come out was reddish with lots of hair, even some on his body. So they called him Esau, which means hairy. I told you. The other twin came out holding tightly to the other brother's heel. They called him Jacob, which literally means heel holder. And Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. As the boys grew, the parents could see that there was considerable difference between the two. Esau was a restless type and interested in hunting, at which he became quite skilled. While Jacob was quiet and preferred to stay at home and care for the sheep. As the years went by, Isaac favored Esau because he loved the deer meat that Esau got, while Rebekah favored Jacob. So these two boys were pretty different. Esau was kind of a man's man, so to speak, and Jacob... He's a little bit more of a girly man. Stayed at home with mama, you know, watched the sheep, didn't want to get too far from home. And Esau, he'd go out for days hunting. Come, he's a big, hairy guy. And he'd come back dragging deer, you know, blood hanging off the back. And he was, he was a man's man. We all know the story of what happened with Esau and Jacob. Esau came back one day, and he was starving. He'd been out for a few days, and he hadn't had a good luck catching 
hunting any deer that time and he was starving he thought he was so Jacob had some stew there he was fixing some stew close to mama's tent he didn't go too far away and so Esau says man give me some of that stew there brother I'm starving and Jacob's like well he says you know got the thing he says I'll trade what brother I'll trade this stew here for your birthright Esau says, well, what good is the birthright if I'm going to be dead? I'm starving to death. Give me some of that stew. Well, whatever you say, just give me some of that to eat. So he did. He tricked him. So the mother heard that. She kind of remembered it. And Esau, he, got, he ate his meal and went on about his business and kind of forgot about that. Well, years later, Esau and Jacob were around there. And Isaac got pretty old. He lost his eyesight and he was getting pretty old. He called Esau to his tent. He said, Esau, I want you to go out and I want you to hunt. Find me a deer. Maybe some of that good venison stew you always make. Flavor it up just right and bring it in to me. He said, that, I'm not sure how long I'm going to be around. I want to give you your birth. I want to bless you before I, before I pass on. He said, all right, Father, I'll do what you say. So he got out, got his bow, and got him a couple good arrows, and he headed out in the woods. Well, Mama Rebecca heard, overheard what happened. She called Jacob and said, hey, your brother was just told to go out. Your dad's going to give him the birthright. And I'm not sure how long your dad's going to be around, but... Well, he's out. We gotta, we gotta take care of something. We gotta sneak you in and get this, or else it's gonna be gone. And Jacob's a little bit concerned about that. He says, "Mom, he says Esau is a lot bigger than me. He's hairy. He didn't sound like me." And his mom's like, "Okay, I got it. You just do what I tell you to do. Go out and get a couple goats." And he did. And they made a stew and walked in there. And he pretended like he was his brother. And and Isaac was still with it enough to say, "You know, you don't sound like Esau. Come near, son. Let me let me fill you." And he had the goat hair on his hands, on his neck. And so he said, well, you feel like my son. He said, let me smell you. He said, come here, let me kiss you. He smelled me, and they'd put Esau's clothes on him. So sure enough, he did. He blessed him, and they sent him on his way. Not too much longer, we know the story. Esau came in, the real Esau, and came in and, and said, here, you know, here I am, Dad. And Isaac was upset. He said, oh, he said, I, I was tricked. Your brother tricked me. I've already given all the blessings. And Esau begs, said, Dad, you got to give me something. He says, I... I've given everything to your brother. He says, you're going to have to serve your brother. So he was pretty upset. And the Bible says, after he did that, in Genesis 29, uh, from that day, that day on, Esau hated his brother, Jacob, because he had tricked his father into giving him the family fortune. He decided that he would kill Jacob as soon as his father died. Well, his mother heard Esau talking. She says, Jacob, you got to get out of here. He says, your brother's, he's talking about killing you, and we both know he could. He said, you got to leave. He said, I want you to go to my brother Laban over Mesopotamia. Go over there. He says, stay there until I, I call you. When things have calmed down and your brother's calmed down and things will be okay, I'll, I'll call you, but you got to get out of here. So he packed up his stuff, and he left. And he went, and he walked, and they say, the Bible says it was quite a few Several days' journey away. It was, it was, it was a, a, a ways away. And he got there, and he's looking around there, and he's asked some guys there. He says, hey, is this, is this where Laban lives, my Uncle Laban? They're like, yeah, 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 that's where he at. He said, in fact, that's his daughter coming up here with some sheep there. Jacob and the men, in verse 9 of Genesis 29, Jacob and his men were still talking about the custom of watering when Rachel arrived with her flock. And when Jacob saw Rachel talk, taking her place in line to water the Uncle Laban's flock, he went to the well and rolled away the stone so she could, the men could water their sheep. And while Rachel was waiting for her turn, Jacob went over 
introduced himself and kissed his cousin, Rachel. Now, Rachel was a shepherdess. She liked to watch sheep. And what did Jacob do? Remember what he did for a living? He was a shepherd. So there was kind of a tight bond there already. And the Bible says that Rachel was what's commonly known today. She was smoking hot. She was a hottie. The Bible says that Laban had two daughters. Leah was the oldest and Rachel the youngest. Leah had weak eyes and little personality while Rachel was shapely with beautiful eyes and a sparkling personality. So she was kind of hot and she was a shepherdess and Jacob was a shepherd. So there was some there was some, some bond there. And uh, not unlike my wife, that when I first met my wife, she was what's commonly known as a hottie. I met her when, quite a few years back, and she had platinum blonde hair, and she was tanned. And man, she looked good. She was a hottie. And she used to wear that blue mascara with her blue eyes, and it, she looked pretty good. She does now, but she really looked good back then when she was young. Of course, I looked a little better back then, too, but she looked good. And... We got to talking, I, I got to talking with her, and we took a ride, and I showed her where I live, and she showed me where she lived back there in Canyon years ago, and we got to talking, and I'd ridden dirt bikes forever since I was a little kid, and we got to talking there, and some of the things we enjoy, and we both figured out we like riding dirt bikes. One of our first dates was, we went for a dirt bike ride. Now, not, now she didn't just on the back, she had her own dirt bike, and she could ride, and actually rode pretty good. I'd never seen a girl that could ride that well and look that good. So it was over. I said, well, I'm going to hang on to her. And just exactly like Jacob and Rachel, he says, this woman's hot. She likes sheep. Their first date might have been going up on a hillside. I can see Jacob going to get some sparkling cider. I said, here, let's, let's have a date. Let's go wash some sheep together. So there they went. But they fell in love. And Jacob loved Rachel from the first day he saw her. He said to Laban, I'm in love with your daughter, Rachel, but I don't have the right kind of security to think about marriage. I want to stay here and work for you for seven years to build a financial base. If at the end of the time you'll marry, you'll let me marry Rachel. William said, that sounds like a pretty good deal. He said, I'd like to keep our families together and instead of having some stranger marry my daughter, I'll accept your offer. We'll look forward to the wedding. So Jacob worked for seven years for Laban to pay for the dowry to marry Rachel. He loved Rachel very much and was so happy to be near her that the seven years seemed like a few days. When the time was up, Jacob went to Laban and said, I've kept my part of the agreement, showing myself to be successful to guarantee Rachel to secure. I'd like now to go ahead and get married. So Jacob said, all right. Or Laban said, okay, let's set the date and let's plan the wedding. So they planned a big celebration and I had friends from far and near, and during the reception, when the time came for the bride to go to the bridal chambers as a sign of marriage, Laban, he's kind of a sneaky sucker, Laban sent Leah in instead of Rachel, and she willingly took part in the reception. A little while later, Jacob followed. Now, we all know what happened. It was the wrong woman. I'm not sure how that happened, because after seven years dating somebody, I would think that he would probably know who his wife is, but I, it happened anyway. My wife, being a hottie that she is, she has two older sisters. Rachel had one sister, Leah. I have, Jody has two older sisters. Love them to death. They're good ladies. They were just here visiting here just a few weeks back, and I enjoyed them, her and her mother and the sisters and her brother. But I can tell you right now, if her dad would have tried to sneak one of them sisters in on me on my wedding night instead of Jody, I would have been a little irritated. And Jacob was no different. In verse 25, in the morning when Jacob woke up, looked over there, He's going to look at his sleeping bride, and he saw it wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. 
He was furious and stormed out of the tent. He went to Laban and said, what in the world have you done to me? I worked for you for seven years so I could marry Rachel, and you agreed. But now you're giving this troll-looking thing Leah over here. How can you do that to me? Laban's like, well, calm down. You know, he has him some half-cock story about how it's a custom, and they have to marry the older daughter off her, and da-da-da. So he says, let's just finish the wedding reception here. Let's just do the week thing. And if at the end of the week, I'll announce to everyone, I'm giving you Rachel as well. I'll just give you the double, you know. That is providing you work for me for another seven years. Jacob agreed. I probably would just knock Laban out right there. I said, I worked for seven years. He was like, I'm taking my bride and I'm out. But he agreed to work another seven years. 14 years he worked. Now, honey, I love you, but I'm not sure I worked 14 years for you. But he did. So they got married, and of course, at the end of the week, Rachel went in the tent, and Jacob was the right woman that time, and you know, the, the rest is history. So the next several years, the Bible says Jacob kind of shunned Leah, and for good reason. I mean, he was in love with her sister. But he didn't get with her that much, but when he did, every time, it seemed like every time, once a great while, he had to do his husbandly duties, she got pregnant. She was pretty fertile. Poor little Rachel over there, they were together all the time, and she couldn't get knocked up for anything. So it took over almost seven years. Leah had six sons and one daughter by the time Rachel finally got pregnant. She was praying all the time and getting mad at Jacob. They were like, it ain't me, you know. So finally, she prayed and prayed, and finally, in Genesis 30, verse 22, Rachel finally got pregnant. But the Lord didn't ignore Rachel's prayer. He activated her womb. She conceived and gave Jacob a son. Finally, God has heard my prayers, said Rachel, taking away my shame. Rachel named his, her baby. What was the firstborn Rachel's name? Joseph. Name of Joseph, which means, may he add and said, the Lord has given me a son, taken away my shame. Now maybe he'll give me another son. So Jacob was just ecstatic, man. He had his firstborn son from his favorite bride, Rachel. And I mean, that, Joseph was spoiled from the very beginning. I mean, if he wanted a pony, Jacob gave him four ponies. Because Jacob had some money, if you recall. You've heard Mary had a little lamb. Joseph had four lambs. Anything he wanted, he got. And so later on, they decided to leave and go back. And in Genesis 35, uh, we're not told how old Joseph was when his brother was born. But from Bethel, Jacob went to Ephrath. And on the way, Rachel went to labor. But complications set in, and Rachel had problems delivering the baby. The nurse tried to encourage her through her pain and saying, Don't worry, it looks just like you'll deliver the first one. But Rachel didn't survive the birth. And as she was dying, she named her baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob renamed the baby Benjamin, means son of my right hand. So Rachel was buried beside the road, later called Bethlehem. Then Jacob stacked a pile of rocks over her grave, which still marks the place to this day. So in the scheme of things, Jacob didn't have Rachel for all that long. I mean, he had, you know, had to wait almost seven years, finally had Joseph, and then not that much longer, he had, she got pregnant again, had uh, Benjamin, and she died. So you can guarantee that Jacob loved them boys, but he especially loved Joseph. So Jacob had a total of t- 12 sons, with only two being from his favorite and wonderful bride, his precious Rachel. You know, I can kind of see that. Of all the sons I have, my favorite is my oldest and my youngest. 
Uh, I tell Sheldon, you're my favorite eldest son, and Dawson's my favorite youngest son. My two favorites, I always tell them. So Joseph growing up, as I said, he was pretty spoiled. I mean, he was a good boy, and his father loved him, and his father taught him right, but he was, he was spoiled. In Genesis 37, we read that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because Joseph was tender-hearted and honest, and he was Rachel's firstborn. Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob made Joseph a long, colorful robe with sleeves, the kind usually worn by persons of distinction. But none of his other sons had such a robe, not even Benjamin. So Joseph, I mean, even though he was, you know, he had a brother from Rachel, Joseph, he was, he was a chosen one. And when the older sons noticed this preferential treatment, they hated Joseph and never spoke kindly to him, even though he was their brother. We all know who here has met a spoiled kid. Anybody? I mean, I've, I've found some, and, you know, they're just, they're entitled, and they're just, they want everything, they want it now. And that may have been kind of how Joseph was. He was a good boy, but he was, he was probably pretty spoiled. About this time, Joseph had a dream, which he told his brothers. When they heard what it was, they hated him even more. Joseph said, hey, brothers, listen, I had a dream the other night. Let me tell you what it was. In this dream, we were all harvesting in the field and tying the wheat into bundles. Suddenly, my bundle stood up tall. You guys, your little bundles all gathered around me and they all started bowing down to me. That kind of ticked them off. They didn't like him anyway, and then he just kind of rubbing it in. Then his brother said, well, you think we're going to bow down to you and let you rule over us? Are you planning to make a little kingdom for yourself and have us be your servants? After he told them his dream, they hated him still more. Now, common sense would say, well, I kind of ticked my brothers off. I'm going to keep still. Did Joseph keep still? No. He had another dream. Joseph's like, guys, you're never going to believe it. I had another dream. And this time he said, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars all gathered around. And I was there, and they start, the sun and the moon and stars start bowing down to me. So now Jacob even said, hey, he says, you know, you better cool it here. That's, that's enough. You know, what do you think we're going to all bow down to you? And so Joseph said, all right. So later on, the brothers were like, man, we got to get out of here. This guy's ticking us off. So they went, they took, and Jacob had a lot of sheep. So the brothers, the ten, the 10 older brothers, took the flock, and they went a few days' journey over to Shechem. They thought, we need to get new pasture fields, and we need to get out of here. So they went. So Jacob, the family didn't hear a lot from the family for a bit, from the brothers, and so Jacob got a little worried. He said, hey, Joseph, he says, you're 17 now. He says, I want you to pack some food and go check on your brother, see how things are going. And Joseph's like, I'll do that. You know, Jake, Joseph kind of forgot about they were mad. He's like, yeah, I want to go see my brother. That sounds cool. So he got packed up and got some food and left, and he walked several days' journey, it says. So he ended up over there in Shechem, and he's kind of cruising around looking, and he's out in the field and wandering around. Some old-timer says, hey, what are you looking for, boy? He said, well, my brothers, I got 10 brothers and 1,000 sheep. He said, you think I'd be able to find them? He said, oh, they left just a couple days ago. They went about another day's journey north. He said, all right. So they went. He walked another uh, day's journey to Dothan, which is where they were. And he's excited. He comes over the hill there, and there's just sheep just crossed there. And he knows it's his brothers and the sheep. Man, he's excited. He starts kind of chucking down there and dragging his bag with the food, and he's waving, hey, guys, I'm here. And his brothers see him coming, and they're not too excited about seeing him. So they said, hey, why don't we just kill this dreamer, throw him in a pit here, and we'll be done with it. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. 
So Leah's oldest son, Reuben, heard him talking. Reuben, he's the oldest of all the guys. And he says, hey, guys, we can't just kill our brother in cold blood here. Let's just throw him in these pits, and we'll let him die there. Now, Reuben's plan was to let the brothers cool down, and then when it got dark, he would have pulled Joseph out of the pit and sent him back home. Well, so he, he shows up there, and, hey, guys, we're going to hug him, and they grabbed him, ripped his coat off of him, his fancy, colorful coat, and threw him in one of those old wells, a pit there. And Joseph said, hey, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And say, they said, you're going to die down there. We'll see what come of your dreams now. So they sat down to eat the food, and they got to thinking. I got, you know, we can't just kill our brother in cold blood. And Reuben had to leave. I'm not sure where he went. But he left for a little bit. And in the meantime, the Ishmaelites were coming. They saw a caravan going to Egypt. We all know the story. So they sold Joseph, and Joseph begged begged his brothers please don't sell me brothers please don't sell me I, send me back home I'm sorry I, I'm sorry please don't they did kind of cold hearted brothers but they did they sold him so when Reuben comes back he, was, he said where, where'd Joseph go and he said oh, we sold him to Mishalites up the way there for 20 pieces of silver see we got some money we all have two pieces of silver apiece for our brother may as well make some money off him and so they're like what are we going to tell, tell dad I said you know how dad loves Joseph he's going to be devastated so they come up with a plan. They're going to dip his coat in some blood and tear it up and take it back to Jacob and say he's got tore up by a wild animal. That's what they told him. So when Jacob took off his own robe and ripped it to pieces, they put on sackcloth and mourned over Joseph for many, many days. It says, we don't know how many weeks or months, but many, many days, the Bible says. All of his sons, his daughters, and grandchildren tried to comfort him, but it was useless. He simply responded, let me go down to the grave with him. That's how grieved Jacob was over the loss of his favorite, his beloved son, Joseph. While this was going on, Joseph was on the back of a camel on his way down to Egypt. And once there, they put Joseph on the slave market and sold him to Potiphar, one of the king's officers in charge of the palace guard. And we know what happened. So Joseph was taken to Egypt, and he said, you know what? He said, no matter what, I'm going to be true to, to the God of my father. I'm going to be true. I've had a good raisin. I'm out here myself. I don't have, my father's gone, my brother. I know nobody. I don't know the language. He said, but I do know one person, the God, the king of the universe. He said, I'm going to trust him implicitly. And he did. He gave his life to the Lord right there and says, Lord, no matter what, I'm going to trust you. And so Joseph determined to be faithful to the Lord no matter what. And the Lord was with him. Soon Potiphar learned that Joseph could be trusted and always and allowed him to live with him in his own house. Now, Joseph was a slave, but he got to where he, Potiphar, loved him and trusted him as his own son. We noticed Joseph's efficiency and was convinced that Joseph's loyalty, loyalty to his God caused him to prosper. Potiphar was so pleased at Joseph that he made him his personal servant and put him in charge of all of his household. Then the Lord blessed the Egyptian master so that he prospered both in his domestic affairs as well as an increase in herds and flocks. Next, Potiphar put Joseph in charge of everything he owned, both of his home and elsewhere, and paid no attention to anything except when he came home to eat. So he was living a life free of anything. He was just cruising out, going on vacations, with the, taking trips with the king, and jo J uh, Joseph was taking care of everything and making him prosper, getting him richer. Well, any good story has a villain, and this story is no different. So we're not told how many years later this is, but... Joseph had grown up to be a kind of a well-built, handsome young man, took after his mama, Rachel. And who noticed him? Little Miss Potiphar over here. She's like, huh, that 
little slave boy turned into quite a handsome man here. So she's kind of watched him there, and she says, I got to have me a little bit of that. So she kind of starts flirting with him a little bit there and kind of testing the waters there. And, the, uh, and Joseph said, no, I'm not, I'm not having any part of that. So she pursued him day after day. But Joseph refused her advances at any time. He says, no, that's, that's against the, my master and it's against my Lord. I'm not going to betray either one of them. So she was relentless in her pursuit of, of Joseph. We're not told how long that went on, but it went on for a while. And finally, she got ticked off. She's like, all right, enough of this. So she worked it out one day where all the servants were gone out of the house. It was just her and Joseph in there. And she grabbed him with the coat. And she yanked him in the bedroom. She says, now we're going to do this, and I'm tired of messing with you. And Joseph says, no. He says, we're not. She said, no one's going to know, Joseph. She says, uh, my husband's gone. The servants are out. No one will know. And Joseph said, my God will know, and I'm not going to. So she had a hold of his coat. She said, I'm not going to let you go. So he got out of his coat and took off out of the house. Well, what does most women do if they're upset? Scream. So she goes to screaming, help, help. So the servants come running in. What's the matter? She says, find my husband. Find my husband now. So they went and got Potiphar. And in chapter 16, it says, she kept Joseph's coat until her husband came home. Then she told him the story and said, that Hebrew slave you brought here came into my bedroom and attacked me. When I screamed, he ran and left his coat on my bed. Potiphar heard his wife's story. He pretended to be furious, even though he doubted what she had said. He, Joseph had been around for years and had proven himself to be trustworthy beyond measure. So all of a sudden, his wife's, you know, gives her one story here. So he's kind of between a rock and a hard place. Here he's got Joseph. He loves him. He trusts him. He's made him very wealthy. He doesn't really want to let him go, but yet he's got mama over here. And you know, we all know, if women don't get their way, they're just, they're, I mean, you'll never hear the end of it. So Potiphar's like, all right. He said, tell him, take Joseph to the prison. Put him in the, in the, and he put him in the royal prison, not necessarily like the scum prison, but prison nonetheless. He ordered him to, to Joseph to go to arrest him and put him in the palace prison for the rest of his life. He didn't order him to be executed because Joseph had not run away. This was evidence to Potiphar of Joseph's innocence. So now we see Joseph going from being a slave, trusting his Lord, working up, helping Potiphar be wealthy, making him a rich man, taking care of all his affairs. He's thrown into a prison now, and now he's back to square one, nothing in, in a dirty old dungeon. But Joseph didn't get angry. He didn't complain to God. He didn't lose hope. What did Joseph do? He remained true to God. And in prison, Joseph was just as faithful to God as he had been before. The Lord blessed him, and the prison warden noticed that Joseph was different. Soon, the warden was so pleased with Joseph that he put him in charge of all the prisoners, and he became their spokesman. The warden put all the prisoners' responsibilities on Joseph. The warden didn't check on anything, and that Joseph did because he trusted him. The prison warden knew that Joseph's God was with him because he was so faithful to him. That's a pretty good example, ma'am. You can go to a heathen warden and just prove yourself to be that, that trusting of, of your Lord. So it happened. So Joseph was put in charge of all the prisoners. And the story goes that the king got ticked off one day at his butler and his baker. So they were thrown in prison. So Joseph, he was doing his rounds one day, and he's checking on everybody. He says, hey, man, you guys are kind of looking down. Look, you know, what's up with the long faces? What happened? They said, well, Joseph said, we, uh, we both had dreams. I don't know what's, we dreamed. It's just, it's bogging us, and we're just kind of upset. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know what some dreams mean, but they seem to mean they're so real. Joseph's like, well, tell me what it is. Maybe that'll make you feel better. They said, well, you, can, you, can you tell us what they mean? And Joseph says, I can't, but 
You tell me if the Lord chooses to, he can. So the butler tells him, well, he said, you know, he says, I was dreaming there and there was a, a grapevine and it had three big branches there and the grapes started to appear and really nice plump grapes. And I ha happened to have the king's glass in my hand and I started squeezing grapes and making this wonderful sweet grape juice. I gave it to the king. He says, and that's it. That's, what I'm, that's, that's all my dream. And Joseph thought about it and he prayed. And the Bible says, then God gave Joseph wisdom to interpret the dream. He said to the steward, this is what your dream means. The three vines represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will call you, take you out of prison, and reinstate you as his chief steward. You will serve Joseph, Pharaoh, as you did before, taking his cup, filling it, and personally giving it to him. And Joseph said, you know, as a sidebar, man, he says, when this happens, would you mind talking to the king for me? He said, please be kind and say a word to Pharaoh about me to get me out of this dungeon. Otherwise, I'll be forgotten and be here all my whole life. You see, I'm a Hebrew. I was taken by force, brought here to Egypt as a slave. I've not done anything wrong to deserve to be in this dungeon. The brother's like, oh, yeah. He says, man, I'm happy. He says, I, Joseph, you got my word, dude. When I leave, Pharaoh's going to be the first thing I'm going to tell him is about you. So the, the baker says, hey, man. He said, hey, I had a dream, too. Can I tell it to you, Joseph? And yeah. He said, well, he says, my dream was I had a baskets on my head and my baskets had bread and cakes and donuts and pastries all kinds of stuff up there he said and I was walking down the road to the king he said and out of nowhere these birds came along and ate up all my food Joseph's kind of looking at him and says anything else he says no that, that's it he says well, what does that mean Joseph kind of felt looked at him he kind of felt bad for the dude you know he says well Joseph tell me what it means did your God tell you and Joseph's like yeah he said, well, what does it mean? He said, you know, in three days, you're going to be, uh, the Pharaoh's going to have you hanged. And he just, it's hard, hard, you know, and just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that's what it means, though. And some of the other prisoners may have said, oh, don't worry about it. He says, who knows who this guy can tell dreams? He said, don't worry. But in three days, it came true. And the baker was hung. He must have cooked something bad the Pharaoh to take him off that bad, but he died. He got hung. And the butler was reinstated into his position. Well, did the butler tell the king about Joseph? The chief steward was so happy to be free and have his job back that he completely forgot about Joseph and his promise to keep, speak to Pharaoh for him. So two years passed. So Joseph in that prison for two more years, wondering, man, I wonder if that guy's going to talk to him. I haven't heard anything and just wondering, but all the while trusting God. Well, the story goes, guess who else had a dream? Pharaoh. We know the story. Pharaoh had a dream and he dreamed about the cows and the, and the corn, and he, he woke up, and he called all of his magicians and wise men of the kingdom to come in and says, I got to have this dream. You guys got to tell me what's going on. This dream is bugging me. I said, there's some, I know it means something. Of course, they couldn't tell. And the butler's back there. He's like, oh, I says, king. He said, man, dude. I said, oh, I completely forgot. He says, two years ago, he said, when I was in prison, me and the baker, he said, there's a guy in prison. He's a Hebrew slave. But he, he, has, he trusts the Lord in heaven. He said, he, he told me my dream and it came true, king. You brought me back and put me in a place. And he said, you hung uh, the baker. He said, yeah, those dreams came true. I bet he can do the same thing for you. The king's like, what are you waiting on? Let's get that guy out here. So they went into prison, got, got Joseph, shaved him. He took a shower and put some deodorant on and put some cologne on, dolled up a little bit there and went before the king. And Pharaoh said, I understand that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph said, 
I cannot do so, your majesty, but my God can. Even though he's trusting God and specifically. He said, tell me what you've dreamed. So the Pharaoh told him all about the dreams and what happened. Joseph said, you know, king, those two dreams mean the same thing. And we all know the story. He says, the Pharaoh, uh, he's just going to have seven years of, of plenty, bountiful harvest, and seven years of famine. He said, so Joseph said, what you need to do is build some storehouses. You need to save a fifth of all the crops of every year that, that uh, Egypt is in plenty so that you'll have uh, food for when the famine comes. The king's like, that sounds pretty good. So Pharaoh sent, said to his counselors, we're going to find a man like this through whom the spirit of God in heaven works. We should just make him in charge of this project, don't you think? That sounds good. They said, the king says, he's obviously smart than all you guys because you couldn't figure this out. So turning to Joseph, he said, since the supreme God has given you this insight in the future and in wisdom to interpret dreams, Pharaoh said, I'm putting you in charge of everything. Whatever you tell the people, they'll do it. They are beginning right here in the palace. Only in matters of government and royal concerns will I, the Pharaoh, be greater than you. I'm putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his royal ring and put it on Joseph's finger. He ordered Joseph to dress in fine linen of Egypt's elite and to wear the gold chain of government around his neck. Pharaoh then ordered a chariot for Joseph and they rode down the streets of the city. Joseph in second command rode the chariot just behind Pharaoh's and men walked ahead of them shouting, kneel before the king and his new governor, Joseph, the one who has been appointed to govern all of Egypt. So Joseph went from being a 17-year-old, spoilt, entitled kid. The Bible says at 30 years old, when Pharaoh made him governor, Joseph was 30, he bowed to Pharaoh, left his presence, and took charge of the land of Egypt. And we know the story. The brothers came later on when the, when the famine started. They came down. They didn't know Joseph. And Joseph remembered all the dreams. They bowed down to him, and they didn't know who he was. And he finally revealed himself to him. And they cried and made up. And Joseph had to make sure that his brothers were more tenderhearted. And they changed over the years, just as Joseph had. And Joseph says, go down and get my father and my little brother and bring him up here to Egypt. He said, I'm gonna, I want you guys to come up. I'm, I'm all my family. They had a big old reunion. And Joseph had some money, obviously. He was the second in charge. So they gave him the best of the land of Goshen. That's where his family settled. Awesome, fertile land. And he got to be reunited with his wonderful and his beloved father, Jacob, before Jacob died. So Joseph was about 30 years old. And he went from 17 years old being a slave and a spoilt brat to 30-year-old ruler of all of Egypt. They lied about him, threw him in prison, all the while innocent of anything that he had done wrong, consistently trusting God. He was treated unfairly as a slave, criminal through it all. Joseph remained faithful to his belief in his God. He was honest, consistent, true to his values he had been taught. God took him from a 17-year-old entitled kid to a 30-year-old mature, wise, and God-friend ruler of Egypt. So, I thought again, after I read that story several times, I contemplated it and prayed about it, and I thought about my own trivial struggles at work, you know, and I'm having this trouble with these ladies at work, and compared this to the life struggle that Joseph went through. I'm reminded once again that God is always in control. And so instead of focusing on the struggles of my life, the Lord through this story taught me to focus on all the blessings that he has given me in my life. My family, my wife, my my smoking hot wife, my sons, my home, my health, and my job, and all the things that we all take for granted oftentimes. All the blessings that I have, 
And in fact, we all have, are from God. God showed me through, the, through this story, through his word, that I'm actually a very lucky man. I have all the, I have the king of the universe in charge of my life, and I choose to do that every day. Like Joseph, he will make me indeed a very lucky man.